Tremendous song. Well, here we are. It's Wednesday night, and uh, we've been promoting and uh, announcing Brother Campbell uh, his coming, <clears throat> I guess, since uh, probably mid-January or so, something like that. It's been on the calendar for uh, about a year now, really. And, uh, and here we are, the last night of the meeting. And uh, a while back, I, uh, you know, we said, you know what, we're going to focus on the home this week. And, uh, you know, God wants us to have strong, happy homes. Ha- yeah, look, your house ought to be a little bit of heaven on earth. It really ought to be. And uh, years ago, my dad was pastoring a church, and he had a little uh, series on the home that he preached every now and then. And the title of it was simply this, Your Home, Battleship or Fellowship. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of folks I believe it's Battleship. But, uh, but anyway, you know, God wants, God wants you to have a happy home. He wants you to have a strong home. And uh, you know what? If we'll just follow God's plan and, uh, and God's order, as Brother Kirby talked about the other night, and uh, if, we'll ju- if we'll do things by the book, it's amazing what will happen. And, uh, and that's what this week has been all about. And so I want you to sit up straight, and uh, we're going to turn Brother Kirby loose on us one more time. And uh, so pay very close attention. And uh, one more time, I want you to welcome Brother Kirby Campbell. All right. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Oh, it's been great to be with you folks here. And uh, my wife and I and Jack, we have had a great time here, even though we went through another snowstorm and uh, cold weather. It's been wonderful. It's not been cold in the house of the Lord, and I have felt great here. And uh, I want to thank you so very much for all that you did for us while you've been here and or while we've been here. And I thank you for your hospitality. And uh, you can tell a lot of great things about a church because of how the people uh, are when you come there. And so uh, you're very loving people, very giving people, and very thoughtful. And I commend you for that. Another great turnout here on Wednesday night. And uh, I want to congratulate you. Thank you so very much. And uh, I just love that. I, I love it when God's house is full. I think God loves it when it's full. And uh, that's just the way it ought to be. Uh, It's not this way all over a country, but uh, you have something great going on here, and I praise God for it, and and by all means, just keep on keeping on doing what you're doing, and uh, boy, God will bless it, and I'll tell you, God is looking down today in our country, and he's looking to invest in churches that are still desiring to get the job done. And uh, you're one of those churches, and uh, it's untold what God's going to do in the next uh, weeks and months and years, and I'm excited for it, and uh, I thank God for your preacher and his family, and uh, dear, dear friend, I sure love him, and uh, we're just excited that we get to spend time together, fellowship, we've enjoyed it, and uh, some of the meals we've been able to have together, I appreciate that, Pastor, thank you so much, and appreciate the beautiful room at the hotel there, and uh, that has been a blessing, and it's nice. And, and uh, we're probably in a hotel just about every week in the year. And uh, we were in 40, well, 44 weeks on the road last year. And 48,000 miles we drove. That's a lot of asphalt, amen? And uh, that's a lot of hotel nights. That's a lot of restaurants. That's a lot of Starbucks, amen? Keep you awake. And uh, I don't call it Starbucks. Now, we lived in Seattle where Starbucks was founded. I call it Five Bucks, and uh, it's, uh, that, that's a better name for it, amen? <laughs> and uh, wow, I'll tell you what, and I, I didn't even like it. I didn't even know what it was till we moved to Washington State. I had a pastor friend said, oh, Brother Cam, I'm glad you came to Seattle. You got to go down and you got to have a Starbucks. I said, what is that? He said, it's coffee. You've never had coffee till you had Seattle coffee. And um, my wife has never liked coffee. And he said, Mrs. Campbell, you got to try this coffee. And uh, he said, let me tell you what to order. I said, okay, we'll try it. And uh, he told us what to order. He said, once you go in, get a grande double chocolate mocha. And uh, so uh, just the name of it just didn't sound good. You know, chocolate and coffee. I, I like coffee black, strong, no cream, no sugar. And uh, I mean, just just strong. And, uh, and so we went in, and I ordered this cup of coffee, and I got it out, and I tasted it, and uh, <clears throat> I tried not to make a face in front of my wife because I couldn't wait to see her face when she got it. And uh, who doesn't like coffee? And so she tipped it up, and we're in downtown Seattle, and boy, we <clears throat> oh my goodness, that's the nastiest tasting stuff I've ever had in my life. 
And uh, we pour that $4 cup of coffee down the drain on the street there. And uh, probably killed a lot of salmon out there. You know, they're, they're really uh, particular about salmon out there. And, uh, but I poured it out, and there was a big old ball of chocolate in the bottom of that thing. And uh, some of you are like, wow, oh, that sounds so good. And uh, that just wasn't my cup of tea there. But uh, in Seattle alone, you know, there's no churches in Seattle, independent fundamental preaching like your church here, in the city limits. And I even hate to give you this figure. There are 417 Starbucks in Seattle, in downtown alone. I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and, uh, or five bucks. There's a bunch of them out there, amen. And, uh, but uh, one thing about it, they do need the Lord, that's for sure. And, and, uh, but uh, thank you for the hotel and thank you for everything. And, and uh, it'll be our last night. We have the table there. And, and uh, many of you came to us and asked us to pray for some of your friends and loved ones and family members. And, and uh, we, we try to do that. And uh, if you could just help us, if uh, you've given us a name to pray for, I promise you my wife and I will put it in her prayer journal. We'll pray for them. And, uh, but also give us some way where you can update us because we like to have updates about things and how people are doing. And uh, we've got people all over America and, and uh, places that we preach up in Canada that I preach there and, and are praying for them. And then if you could just grab one of our brochures and uh, if you could just remember to pray for us. I know you do, but boy, I just ask you to pray for us. And, and uh, as every person that we come across that's enduring a trial of affliction of some sort, that uh, just pray that God will give us wisdom and the know-how to know how to help them. And a lot of hurting people today, everywhere you look, and uh, it's going to be till the Lord comes back, and of course it'll all be over by then, but uh, <clears throat> we are thankful God's placed us in the ministry, and we'll leave out tomorrow, we're going to drive down to Indianapolis and see my wife's parents for a, a day and a half there, and uh, then we'll drive straight to Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, between uh, Nashville and Chattanooga, we'll be there all day Sunday and meetings. And then Monday, we go home for about four days. And then off to South Carolina again, and then Connecticut. So we're going to be zipping all over the place here in the next few days. And uh, uh, there are a lot of crazy drivers out there in America. Amen? Yeah, have you noticed that? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, none of them drive like we do. You know, independent Baptists are the best drivers, right? And, uh, okay, yeah, uh, we don't text, we don't drive, we don't drink coffee while we drive, you don't know that good stuff, but uh, it's sure been a blessing to be here. We sure love you folks, and thank you, preacher, again for the invitation, and uh, just been a joy and delight. And if we can help you anyway, uh, by all means, please let us know, and uh, we would encounter the joy and a blessing to be able to do that. Take your Bible tonight, First Thessalonians, chapter number 3, and First uh, Thessalonians, chapter number 3. <clears throat> And uh, the message tonight, and First Thessalonians chapter number 3, I'm going to have you look at a couple other places here, but let me read with us tonight here. And once you find your place, if you can and will, let's stand tonight as we read some scripture here. I'm going to read the first eight verses here, and if you would follow along as I read, and uh, it's also been a joy to preach on the home. Most time when I'm doing a meeting, not always, but most meetings, I'm preaching mostly on trials and, and uh, things we've learned in trials and difficulties and things and bitterness, depression and uh, uh, suicide, all these kind of thoughts and things that trials can sometimes bring in our life. And, uh, but uh, it's been a great joy for me when pastor asked me to preach on the home. And uh, I, uh, I, I just enjoy that topic. And uh, I, uh, I do believe that uh, probably the most important thing in our churches is our homes. And uh, boy, we better take special care for that. And uh, I do know, I, I believe with all my heart, there's some great, great homes representing this church here. And, and to God be the glory for that. So you follow along with me, First Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul is writing here to this church that he helped start. And he's now gone off to continue his ministry, starting other churches, missionary journeys, winning people to Christ, and uh, mission trips. And uh, he left Timothy there to pastor this church and uh, oversee them, care for them, preach to them, love them. And uh, he's writing a letter back to this church. And I want you to notice the words that he writes here, beginning in verse number one. Wherefore, when we can no longer forbear... We thought it good to be left at Athens alone, 
and sent Timotheus, our brother, uh, brother in the Lord, per, who he won to Christ, and minister of God, and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ, to establish you. Now notice those three words, to establish you, uh, make you stronger. I mean, to keep what's going good, keep it together, uh, keep that, that bond there. And then he goes on, and to comfort you. Uh, that, that's why we have a pastor. That's a, a pastor's there to preach messages, to uh, rebuke us, uh, to encourage us, uh, to strengthen us, but also to comfort us. And this church knows very well about what it's like to need to be comforted when you're going through a trial of affliction. Yeah, this church knows. And, and so that's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, I left him there for that reason. Then notice as he goes on, verse number three. Uh, then he says at the end of that verse, concerning your faith. Verse number three, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. What he was reminding the people here is you're not going to live life without some kind of an affliction, some kind of an attack, some kind of a testing time in your life. And so he reminds them, and he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. But then he says in verse 4, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulations. Here it is again. Tribulations is, is testings, uh, satanic attacks, uh, things that the devil likes to throw at us, to stop us, to halt us, to uh, uh, keep us from going forward. And he said, you remember when I was your pastor, I preached a lot of sermons. Uh, we might not have been going through the fire right there, but I told you, hang on, buckle up, they're coming. And, and, and boy, what a great wise man that he was. And then he goes on and he says in verse number five, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear or be there as your pastor, I sent to know your faith. In other words, I'm gone, but church, I want you to know, I hadn't forgot about you. You're still in my heart. And, and then he goes on and he says, lest by some means the tempter, that's the devil, have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Wow, what a sad thought. Paul said, that's why I care so much about you. All the labor that I put in there while I was there with you, I want to keep in touch with you because I don't want what I did before to be meaningless. I don't want it to be vain. And folks, that's why every service we have, we ought to take everything that God gives us, implement it in our life because uh, our, our faith is at stake, but yet also who helped us to get to where we are is at stake because I don't want what somebody invested in my life, I don't want them to ever feel their labor in me was in vain. And that's what Paul was saying to this church. And then he goes on and he says, uh, verse number six, but now when Timotheus came from, uh, uh, from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith uh, and charity and that ye good remembrance of us always, uh, desiring greatly to see us, we also to see you. Verse seven, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction. Paul said, uh, just like you had afflictions where you're at, uh, I went and went into another ministry. Uh, they met me there too. That's why it's never good just to get upset and angry at anything and just leave this church. You try to go find another church, there are going to be afflictions everywhere you go. I mean, they follow us. And you can never run from trouble. I mean, we should never do that. I mean, so he goes on and look at verse number uh, seven. He says, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions distressed by your faith. But then verse eight, for now we live if, that's a big word, isn't it? If you stand fast in the Lord. If there's one thing I'd like to leave with us tonight is that I would encourage us that whatever comes in our lives and in our homes and in our families, let's just stand fast in the Lord. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the joy to be here. It's been such a delight and a joy and uh, such sweet people in the family of God. I'm just honored that I can be a part of this family. I know they're under great leadership here and that just stirs my heart. And I pray that good things, great things will continue to take place here. And your hand of blessing will be upon this place and upon these people represented here, individuals and couples and marriage and homes and families, children. And I pray that 
that you'll just continue to do great and mighty things that we don't even know. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so very much. I'm going to use a little bit about what our ministry is about, but I'm also going to implement that into a church. When Paul was writing back to this church, why don't you go back and look at verse number 3. Paul said, the most important thing about this letter that I write to you is that what we find in verse 3. He said, I'm writing back to tell you, folks, make sure that when afflictions come, the tempter comes, testing times comes, make sure that nobody is moved by these afflictions. And what he was saying is he said, now you're going in a good direction. Things are going great. I, I come here to Lake Crest Baptist Church. I see great things taking place here. I see a, an excitement amongst God's people. I see excitement your pastor. And, and I know he's got a vision. I know he's got some drive and excitement and desire. And, and, uh, and, and he probably hadn't even showed you a, a, a tenth of what's, what God has given him. And, and, but wait, I just see you're on a great journey. I preached in chapel the other day. I could just sense you got some good young people here and got lots of children here and got homes and families. People's come by the table and I've met your kids and Wow, it's just exciting to see that. And, you know, I don't see people walking into church here and it's, it's a drab to you. I don't see people walking in here with lone faces. And, and, and man, that's exciting. That's a good thing. And, but I want to just tell you this. And I don't want to discourage any of us, but uh, you know this as well as I do. You're the kind of church that the devil would like to throw hardest darts at more than any other church. Because you're the church that's getting the job done. I mean, 8, 9, 10, 12 saved this past Sunday. And I'm sure it happens on a regular basis. Baptizing converts, new people coming into the church. And the devil's out there like, I don't like what's going on here. And I'm going to see if I can't do what I can do to stop it and halt it. I want to move these people in a bad way, in a wrong direction, rather than in a positive direction. And what I say to you tonight as a church, folks, when testings comes, everybody agree? They're going to come. Amen? Trials are going to come. Afflictions are going to come. And if you're going in the right direction, don't let that affliction make you change direction and go in the wrong direction. Man, do not let that happen. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. When we started our ministry, uh, we were, every church we went to uh, was a new church because I had never been in this ministry. And now, it almost started getting ready to go five, our fifth year. We're going back to some churches for the second time and the third time, which is a blessing to us. And, oh, and I think I may have said this, but, but oh, I'll tell you what breaks my heart is when I go back to a church, almost continually I'm seeing people that used to be there that are no longer there. Boy, that breaks my heart. And so I think what he was trying to tell us is this. And I want to give you a couple other scriptures. I want you to turn here. Hold your finger right here. We'll come back to this in just a moment. But uh, I want you to turn to Ephesians, if you would, and uh, uh, chapter number 3. And uh, uh, let's look at a text here tonight, if we could. And uh, make sure I got the right verse here. Ephesians chapter number 3 and um, verse number 13. Yes. Ephesians chapter number 3. Now Paul, of course, writing the book of Ephesians and uh, as it was with Thessalonians. And he kind of gives us this verse again. Look at verse number 13. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, what Paul is reminding this church here, whole different church, but his message hasn't changed. Because he knows that every church that God allowed him to pastor and people started becoming a part of it, he knew the devil was going to attack them. And he said, folks, whatever you do when the tribulations comes in your life or in my life, don't faint. Make sure you faint not. Faint means fall by the wayside. Faint means give up. Faint means quit. Oh, and, and, and so he's reminding this church. Now, one other. Let's go over here to Galatians, if you would. And uh, let's look at another text here. And uh, <clears throat> Galatians chapter number 6. Very familiar passage here, but uh, let's look at verse number 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Here's the line. For whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. You know why we must hold fast tonight and stand fast in the faith? Because whatever we do in the positive direction or in a negative direction, we're going to reap whatever we sow. There's always going to be reaping no matter what you do. But I don't know about you, if I go in the right direction and know I can reap good things and blessed things, I want that over going in the wrong direction and reaping bad things and chaos and more heartache and more heartbreak. Uh, one of the number one questions, we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians 3, that I have had over the four years is, Brother Campbell, how in the world have you kept yourself from getting angry at a doctor that pretty much ruined your life? And I have to tell you that I, there was a moment in my life where I, I had to deal with that because and, and, and here, this is the day that I did. Okay, this doctor made a mistake. But as I look at it, there are no mistakes. Because God knew what was going to happen that day. And God's never made the first mistake. Now, why did God allow or want this to happen in my life? I have no idea. And I don't know that I'll ever know what that is. But I just know... You have to get this in your mind. God is always right. And God is always fair. I mean, we just, you have to get that in your mind. Okay, so doctor did this to me, caused this affliction in my life, lived with this disease the rest of my life. The doctor gave me the diagnosis almost a year later. He said, Mr. Campbell, this is not good. I've examined your spine. I've looked at your MRI. I've looked at this. And he said, your spine is a mess. You're going to live this rest of your life. And I've been doing this 41 years. And I've seen some pretty messed up spines. But he said, in 41 years, I've never seen anybody, Mr. Campbell, as messed up as yours. And he said, why that doctor didn't stop after the second puncture into your epidural space, they're taught that in school. If you haven't hit the right spot, you pull out, you say to the patient, I'm sorry, we send you home today, we'll set it up for another day. Why she did not do that, I don't know. And then he said, I'm just going to tell you what I think you want to hear. I know you're wondering, where's this going to take you? He said, well... <clears throat> 41 years I've been doing this, I've never seen anybody get better from what you have. And honestly, he said, I'm just going to be honest, the older you get, the worse it has potential of getting. He said, a higher majority of the people end up bedfast or wheelchair-bound the rest of their life. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, now, that, that was a hard blow. I go back to Seattle... Dr. David Gibbs, Christian Law Association, calls me and says, Brother Mrs. Campbell, can I meet you in downtown Seattle this Thursday, whatever day it was of the week there? I said, sure, Brother Gibbs. Gave me the address. I had no idea what he was going to say. We're in the tallest building in downtown Seattle. And when we got there, we saw it's an attorney's office. We go into the attorney's office. There's eight, ten people sitting around the table, and Dr. Gibbs and several attorneys are there. And he stands up and said, Thank you, Brother Mrs. Campbell and Isaac and Jack, for being here. Uh, we just felt we've uncovered some information about the doctor that worked on your back, and we've done some investigations, and we just felt you needed to know this little bit of information. And then he stood up, and then he began to weep. And he said, But it's with a broken heart that I'll tell you what I'm about to tell you. Now, I think if you were in my shoes at that point, you already know, I don't even think I want to know what it is because I don't think it's going to be good. <laughs> oh, what's he going to add to what I just heard from the doctor? And then he said these words. Unfortunately, the doctor that worked on you and mispunctured your epidural since your procedure about a year ago has since messed up 13 more patients. And right now has 13 ongoing lawsuits. That's the first time in my life in this situation that I felt some anger coming on. I mean, I, I can't tell you what I was going through my mind. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my church. I'm going to lose my home. 
I'm going to lose every bit of money we have. My wife and I are going to have to sell our home just to keep our head above water. And I'm not going to get better, and I'm only going to get worse. And I'm only 46 years old. Afflictions are going to come. But I'm so glad that God taught me this lesson. Kirby, I know this is hard for you. But I want you to think back when my son Jesus hung on a cross. And he took the sins of you and the whole world, put them on his back, which he didn't deserve, but he did it because he loved you. And when he looked out off of the cross that day in agony and pain and misery and crying with a loud voice, bleeding profusely, being beat within an inch of his life, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I said, you know what? I want to take the high road. Because be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I just decided to take what Job said. Naked came I into the world, and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Now folks, I'm not a super Christian. And you're not a super Christian. And trials are no fun and afflictions are hard and we don't even want them, but we're going to have to endure them. But let's take the high road. Don't let afflictions move you in the wrong direction. And, and I say that because Paul was right back to this church. Guess who Paul was writing to? He was writing to homes in this church. He was writing to families. He was writing to dads. Dads, don't let afflictions that's going to come in your life, don't let it move you. Don't let it move you out of church. Don't let it move you away from your spouses. In other words, don't split your home up. Don't split your marriage up. Don't divorce. Don't run off and leave your kids. He says, hey, take those teenagers. Show them a godly example. He said to the individuals in there, trials are going to come. But don't let that trial move you to get bitter. Let it get anger and let you do some things and say some things and go places you never thought you'd ever end up. And don't ever forget what you sow you're going to reap. And so with that thought, I want us to think of that tonight and, and because I, I, I've seen so many people in churches, good homes and families and marriages when trials invaded their life. And I pray that nobody ever has a trial like, like we've had to go through. And, 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 but I, I, we all know trials are going to come. Your trial might be a physical trial, but it might be financial. My wife has had ladies come up, preacher, and ask her, Mrs. Campbell, I just want you to know, sis, thank you for not leaving your husband when this trial came. My wife said to me, she said, honey, I, I don't really think I understand what they're saying because I've never even thought about leaving. And wow, we've had that said so many times. But you see, folks, that's what the devil and the world tries to get us to think. That when hard times comes, that's what you do. You faint. You give up. You bail out. You break your marriage apart. You break your home apart. And folks, when you break your marriage apart, you're not just hurting your own life. You're hurting those children's lives. You're hurting those babies' lives. You're hurting other of God's people's lives in the church because people watch us, especially when we go through the fires of life. Our homes are on view all the time. Christians, your lives are on view all the time. Paul said, you are epistles known and read of all men. People watch us, especially when we're going through the hottest times of life. And that ought to be the time when we don't faint. We hang in there. Now, I wouldn't even ask you to raise your hand, but as a married couple here tonight, you're going to have some financial tough times. Individuals are going to have financial tough times. You're going to have times when you you might lose your job. I I hope that never happens, but it could. 
There's going to be times when you raise your child from the nursery in church and you take them to children's church and junior church, then junior high and high school, and then maybe Bible college, and then hopefully this never happens, but I've seen it happen. Well, I put all those years of investment in there, and then my son and my daughter bolted, and now they're out of church. They're out of God's will. They married wrong. Their home is a mess, and their life is a wreck, and they've got scars on their lives now. Wow, what happened? I'll tell you, it was a devil. So, boy, we got to be careful that we do not let afflictions, afflictions move us. We can't let afflictions enter into our marriages and break them apart. I mean, it's going to be tough times, but somebody's got to show the next generation that you don't have to do that. That you can stay together and you can keep going down the right path. And you can reap good things rather than reaping bad things. So, <clears throat> I... Uh, I, I, I want to just give you three thoughts here tonight about that because we, we, we see this happening so many times and, and the devil is a roaring lying out to attack our homes and our families and our children. I said this other night, boy, thank God for those young people that sang tonight. That choir, wasn't that great? I mean, just to have a youth choir like that. Man, that was tremendous. I love it. And we ought to be doing all we can to invest in their lives. That's the next generation of this church. Those children that say, I just bless my heart. I love it. I mean, it's great. It's exciting. <clears throat> and we ought to go out of our way because you know and I know the devil is a roaring lion and he's going to try to do all he can to try to get to that young generation. And so, Paul, we've got to be so careful that we make it. Another reason why I didn't go down the route of getting angry because when I pastored, I saw some people who had dealt with anger because of afflictions. I had a couple in my church. They came to our church on our one-year anniversary. And they were in our church uh, 12 years. Five children pretty much grew up in our church. And uh, I married one of their, 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 their children when it came time to get married. And thankfully, they're still there in the church. And <clears throat> that married couple, about eight, nine years into being in our church, things were going great. I mean, it was exciting. Never missed a service. I mean, they were there. Played instruments, sang in the choir, taught Sunday school class, ushered, worked in our security team. I mean, preacher, anything you need me to do, anything I can help with, well, taught in our school. And all of a sudden, one day, the dad got a layoff notice. Worked at UPS. They were doing a massive layoff. Man came to me and said, Brother Cam, I said, boy, peace pray. I've never had to face this in 17 years. I've worked here, and I'm losing my job. It looks like I'm not going to get it back. Maybe who knows for how long. And when that day came, I mean, it, it lasted, and it lasted, and it lasted, and never did get that job back. Couldn't hardly get a job to make ends meet had to take their kids out of Christian school. And then I saw it. Sunday night, I'm sitting on the platform. Where's such and such family? Not here. I went to visit them. I know preachers should have been there. I can't believe we weren't there. But man, just going through some hard times. It's all we can do, just try to get food on our table in our home. I said, folks, whatever you do, I said, there's a big God. I said, you're not going through anything that God can't take care of you while you go through it. But whatever you do, don't bail out on God. And it wouldn't allow me to tell you all the story, but tonight that husband and wife are no longer married. All but I think one of those kids is out of church. Their lives are a wreck. Sweet kids. I could take you home to my office tonight where I live in North Carolina and go to my file cabinet. I could pull out letters from just about everyone in that family. Dear Brother Campbell, sure love you. Thank you for knocking on our door. If it weren't for you, our home and our family wouldn't be in church. Now they're gone. You see, when one family, nobody should ever look and say, well, that's just one family. No, 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 that's what the devil would like us to think. When one family gets hit that way and they move in the wrong direction, that's a big hit on a church. 
That's a big hit on a church. So folks, when the trials of life come and they knock you down as, boy, they've hit us, and I get back up and two years ago, man, life's going good and I won't go back into it and I'm preaching, I got a ministry now, God's open doors and preaching all over America and things are exciting, things are good, still got the disease, but hey, God's been good, I get to do what I love to do and I've wanted to do all my life and bam, heart attack, hospital, heart surgery. Bam, I'm back down. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Where'd that come from? And then I go to the mail and I get the bill and because I don't have any insurance, they politely canceled me and disability denied me and I opened the bill and for the helicopter ride, for a 30-minute ride was $300, it like being $35,000. I said, God, we can't do it. It's too big. It's too big for us. And it knocked me down. But I said, by God's grace, I'm not going to stay down because I still got a son that's eight and I still got an older son and by God's grace I got a wife and I don't want to disappoint God and I don't want to disappoint my wife and I don't want to disappoint my kids and I don't want to disappoint my church and I don't want to disappoint the people who are praying for me and treasure trials I want to keep on marching on I want to stand fast I want to brush myself off yeah I got knocked down I didn't like it but bless God I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to move in the right direction I'm not going to let the tempter take me in the wrong direction it's been three years this September. I've never paid the first dime on the helicopter bill. In fact, I've never even received another bill. And I'm not calling them tomorrow to figure out where it's at. Because <laughs> I got a God up in heaven that said, you just do what's right and I'll take care of all the other things. Praise be to God. Amen. I mean, hey, they're going to come in your life. You're going to have trials. There's not a family alive that's not going to have a trial. There's not a home at Lake Crest Baptist Church represented here that's not going to have an affliction. But don't let that affliction move you in the wrong direction. Now, I want to give you three things how we can keep from moving in the wrong direction. Because I think Paul gave us a great, great uh, uh, opportunity here. And I want to show you some things here that, boy, this excited me. I picked this up. When I got back from that heart attack, I'm telling you, my wife will tell you, I would wake up every morning and I I had anxiety. I mean, uh, Brother Dale, I'd go in my living room and get my recliner in the morning. I'd try to pray and my legs was doing this. And I was fidgeting. Oh, Lord. Oh, I got anxiety. I shouldn't have anxiety because, hey, stress is what they said caused the first heart attack. The stress from all the pain. And you know what the tempter tried to get me to do? He tried to get me to thinking, you see, you're stressing out. That's why I like. I like it when you stress. Because, see, that just adds more misery to your life. You see, that's why I avoided getting angry when I heard that news about the doctor. I've seen people who got angry and ended up getting bitter. And I looked at it this way. Bitterness can do more to destroy me than chronic pain. It'll do more to destroy my marriage and my children. God forbid that I have already said that I have to go by the way of the grave. I pray I don't have to go. I pray we all go by the way of the rapture. Big hearty amen. But I said, if the day would ever come that I had to be brought into a church and in a casket and lie there, and my wife and my two kids came by, I sure hope that my wife and my kids could walk by and say, you know what, my husband and my dad, he sure had a lot on him. But I hope my kids could say, but my dad didn't quit. He was not a quitter. And I would want my wife to say the same thing. He still loved me. And so I'm just saying tonight, we better do whatever we have to do to make sure that when those attacks come, they don't move us. If I get to come back here in a year's time, I want to see every single face sitting here tonight. I want to see that youth choir again. 
And I want to see every single person here. And I want to see all the people that you've helped bring into the church, into the hospital here, that also have been going through some trials and difficulties. Hey, that's what I want to see. That's exciting right there. And say, well, the devil don't like it. I love the fact he don't like it. And I like making him misery. I like putting a little crinkle in his horn once in a while. Amen. Yeah. Hey, because he gets a joy out of messing our lives up. And I don't want him to feel confident in the fact he's getting a joy out of it. So let's do this. Three things I want to show you tonight here that I think God gave us. Let's go to chapter 4. He warns them in chapter 3. That's the warning chapter. Folks, don't move when afflictions come. Families stay together. Marriages stay together. Children stay in the home. Stay in church. Look at verse number 1 of chapter number 4, if you would. First Thessalonians there. Furthermore, then, we beseech you. In other words, beseech means to blag or to plead. He said, brethren, and exhort you. Exhort means that, that's what I'm doing tonight. That's what your preacher does when he gets up. And preacher, exhort you. That's what a coach does to a team. Exhort. And, and then he says, uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not of my own will, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. That as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and Next three words, would you say it out loud with me? To please God. Let's say it again. To please God. Hey, what's going to keep you and I from being moved when afflictions comes in our life? We better never forget our main purpose in life. And that is the three words. You ready? To please God. Let's say it again. To please God. Hey, teenagers, what's your main purpose in life? Not to grow up. Get everything you want. Have a job. Makes a lot of money. Hey, get married. Nothing wrong with all of that. But number one, don't you forget your main purpose is to please God. Men in the home, you know what your main purpose is? Please God. Ladies, you want to know what your main purpose in the home is? Please God. Children, please God. We never forget that, folks. Because if we live our life trying to please everybody else, we'll be a frazzled mess. But one thing we better never forget, our main purpose in life. What's going to keep us going in the right direction? Hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hey, we got to forget where our our strength comes from and our power. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So as a church, Lake Crest Baptist Church, can I tell you how to have the best homes you can ever have in America in a church like you have? Please God. Don't forget that. Number one thing, please God. Please God. What pleases God? Loving Him. That's the greatest thing you can do. Greatest commandment. You ready? To love the Lord thy God. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us told Him today. I love you. I can't handle life without you. I wouldn't even be where I'm at without you. Our children need to know at an early age their main purpose in life is to please God. That's it. I mean, that's it. I know we have to get jobs. We have to make money. We have to pay our bills. We have to buy homes and lands and cars and and clothes and food and all that. I know. Pressures are life. But hell, while they come, don't you forget there's a devil out there and he's going to try to stop you. He's going to try to get you to faint. But I'll tell you what will keep us going. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hey, we better never forget. Please God. Every day. Every day. Not only we please God by loving Him, we please God by spending time with Him. Oh, don't raise your hand, but not only have you told Him you loved Him today, but have you spent some time with Him today? You see, it'll be proven how much we love someone by how much time we spend with that someone. You know why God made man? Put him in the Garden of Eden? It wasn't to name the animals. That that wasn't why God made Adam. I think I'll make a man because I don't know what to call the animals. And it wasn't to plant the garden. That was already cared for. And it wasn't to till the garden. That didn't come along until man did wrong. 
There was only one reason God made man. Anybody want to guess? Fellowship. Amen? Can you say that with me? Fellowship. You know what fellowship is? Hey, preacher, God bless you, man. I sure love you. You are a blessing to me. I tell you, what, what a great, that's fellowship. And you remember what God did every day? He said, Adam, now I made you from the dust of the ground. When I formed you, I took your nostrils and I, I breathed life into you. Adam, I love you so much. I want to tell you what I want to do. Every day, in the afternoon, in the cool of the day, I want to come down and walk with you. And you read Genesis, that's what, that's what God did. And that's where the songwriter, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own Amen. and the joys we share as we hurry through life and there. No, <laughs> we missed it there, didn't we? Terry there. What Terry means? Uh, not in a hurry. Until one day, Adam, you ready to take that walk? Um, Adam? Oh, Adam, where art thou? I'm over here, Lord, I'm hiding. You're hiding? Adam, why, why are you hiding? Because I was afraid. Adam, everything I made was perfect. There's no need for fear. Adam, why are you afraid? Did you, Adam, eat? the fruit of the tree that I told you not to. It was the woman thou gavest me, Lord. <laughs> then the blame game started, amen? <laughs> Woo, and we've been blaming ever since then. <laughs> wow, blame. You see, oh, I'll tell you what, we'd do us all to take responsibility for ourselves. If you haven't walked with God today, he was looking for you. Oh, Christian, where were you? I noticed, and by the way, there's no marriage in this church will make it without fellowship. Every husband, you ought to get this book out. Not a day ought to go by you don't spend time in God's Word. Every wife, listen to me, ladies, not a day ought to go by that you don't fellowship with your maker. That's why God made us. That's why God put us on earth. I mean, God put us here. I mean, to fellowship with us. And that's the whole reason God made man. And that's what makes fellowship so sweet. You know one of the reasons God brought about this thing called the church? It was for fellowship. Fellows, I want to meet you in that upper room so we could pray together, so we could talk together, so we could share thoughts together, but so we could fellowship together. You see, that's one of the great things that the church does. It gives us an opportunity to fellowship. But boy, I'll tell you what, when the tempter got involved, it messed up fellowship. And I'll tell you what will keep us from having strong marriages, strong homes, strong families, which makes weak churches when they're not strong, is because we're missing the ingredients. What am I supposed to do every day? Please God. How do I please Him? By loving Him. By spending time with Him. Maybe families, you want to have an altar time in your home. Read the Bible together. Teach your kids to read the Bible. Kids, get that Bible. Read it, read it, read it, read it. That's God speaking to you. And just have a little time just chat together. So I said, number one, notice what it says. Uh, he said, uh, don't forget your main purpose. Number two, quick, let me just go here and I'll give you these last two and, and I'll, I'll be finished here. But I want to show you the second thing that God brought about to me here <clears throat> that we need to do. He said in verse number one, that, ought, that you ought to walk and ought to please God so you would abound more and more. Now let's go down to verse number three. He said, for this is the will of God even your sanctification. Now notice that line there. Sanctification means, he says, uh, for this purpose is why I put you here. I called you unto me to be separated from the world. That's what sanctification means. 
Sanctification sets us apart from the world. Folks, when we got saved, God saved us out of the world, never to go back into the world. And so notice the warning. Paul said to this church, church, make sure that when the tempter comes, you don't let it move you in the wrong direction. Stay close to God. Please, God, don't forget that. But then number next, don't you notice? He says, don't forget the will of God is for you to be sanctified. And then he goes on that verse that you should abstain from, what's the next word? Fornication. Folks, would you not agree? We're seeing more fornication today in America than we've ever seen in the history of our country. Don't tell me the devil's not on a rampage. He knows his time's running out. Fornication has done more to ruin good, solid homes and families and churches probably than anything. Because you know what happens when fornication happens? Everybody quits going in the right direction. They start moving in their own direction. Next thing you know, they're not in church. They don't read their Bible. They don't even talk to God. They don't even fellowship. I mean, they don't, they don't, they, they don't do any of that. They forgot that verse. <clears throat> Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Look at verse number next. Verse 5. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that's a body, that's the temple of God, in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence here, even the Gentiles which know not God. Look down verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And folks, number 2, I said we never, better never forget our main purpose in life. What's the main purpose again? Will you say it with me? To please God. Number two, we better never forget about our moral purity. Now, I could stay here a long time, but I won't for time's sake. But I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing creeping into our churches big time today. Immorality. And folks, may we never get so spiritual and so high and so prideful that we don't think that it could happen to us. Don't ever do that. Wow. We got a lot of technology today. That's why I said last night, God, be careful. But I'll tell you what's destroying more churches today. Immorality. In the last six weeks, honey, I guess I've had probably seven, eight churches call me. Brother Campbell, we don't have a pastor. Our pastor's resigned. Or... Our pastor was forced to resign because of some immoral situations. And by the way, we shouldn't put pastors up on pedestals. They're made of flesh just like everybody else. Devil's after them, maybe more so than, than anybody. And that's why we got to be on guard all the time. Don't ever forget. If you'll never forget, number one, my main job is please God. Please God. Please God. And then number two, stay clean, stay pure, stay holy. And Christians and families representing this church, you better be on 911 alert all the time in your home, in your family. Because immorality is massive. It's creeping in and it's coming in. You better do what people used to do in their houses, you know, take tin foil wadded up, stick it in little holes in the house in the corners because they didn't want mice and little rodents getting in and cockroaches. I mean, we better do that with our spiritual boundaries. That's why you better get in this book right here. John 15, 3 says, Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This book right here is what keeps us clean. Moral. I mean, wow. Never forget our moral obligations I've said this I, I, I just quickly when somebody said not long ago said to my wife said thank you for not leaving your husband and by the way I've talked to people that when a trial invaded their home good people in good churches they bailed out on each other after 38 years of marriage that's sad 
I told God, God, I want to stay with my wife. I mean, I, I want to keep this thing going the rest of my life. I want to get 17, 75 years of marriage. And <clears throat> I don't ever want something like that to come between my wife and I. I've told God many times, God, I'd rather suffer physically the rest of my life, horrifically, than to mess up on my wife. It means that much to me. I don't want my kids to go through that. I want my church to go through that. Let's stay morally pure. Then number three, and I close. Let's go to verse number nine here in chapter four. He says here, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, I beg you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Now notice that little wording there. He said, Christians, I I, want to warn you one last thing. Don't forget, number one job, what is it? Please God. Main purpose. Number two, stay morally pure. Number three, I want you to write this down. We better continually measure our progress as a Christian every single day. Because what does God want us to do? Increase more and more. Let me just tell you what that means. That means uh, uh, if you've been saved one year, uh, or maybe this is your second year being saved, guess what? You ought to be reading more Bible this year than you did last year. You ought to be spending more time with God this year than you did last year. You see, every year that we've been saved, I've been saved 42 years. And wow, 42, you say, wow, that's a long time. But I'll be honest, hey, 42 years, I want to make sure at year 42 that I'm doing more as a Christian than I did when I was at number 32 and number 22. I want to be giving out more gospel tracts than I've ever given out in my life. I want to be witnessing. I want to be a soul winner. I want to be reading my Bible more. I want to be memorizing more. I want to be serving more. I want to be walking through the doors of the church more than I ever have in my entire life. And I thank God, now you give me a ministry. I'm not just in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm in church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, more. I get to do more every day in my life. It's a joy. It's a delight. And folks, we better measure our Christian progress. Because I've learned if we don't take a spiritual temperature test occasionally, chances are pretty good we're not going to do anything about it. You know, I started out when I got saved down here. Wow, I got saved. Everything was new. I thought, wow. And I've seen so many Christians like, wow, how do they quote all those verses? They talk about reading about praying, how they do all that. They go to church, and then all of a sudden, a few years goes by. I said, wow, it feels good to be here. And then 10 years later, I'm here. 20 years later, 30 years, 40 years here. Wow, it's exciting to be up here. And by the way, I don't want to quit growing now. I want to keep increasing, increasing. Why? Because the devil is increasing his darts that he's fired at me. And if he's increasing them, by all means, I don't want to move back. I want to keep going forward. And here's what I got to do. As I go forward, I got to make sure that I got my shield on. I want to make sure I got my helmet on. I want to make sure that I got my breastplate on. I want my loins taken care of. I want my feet covered with the gospel. And by the way, this is the only thing that we can throw in the face of the devil that scares him. This book, this is it. And so tonight, oh, don't ever forget, number one goal, don't move in the wrong direction. Don't get angry. Don't get bitter. Don't blow your marriage up. Don't let your home fail. Please, God, love him. Serve him. Walk with him. Talk with him. Stay morally pure. Keep your thoughts. Men, do like we do, we go to the mall. We don't go to the mall that often, but what we do, my wife, she's our, I mean, she, she helps in that area so much, and I'm so thankful. Up, oh, I see a store up ahead. Beep, 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 beep. My antennas are going off. Up, oh, fellas, get over here. Turn to the left. We walk down the mall like this here. <laughs> you say, well, that's kind of silly. I don't think it is. You know how many people became immoral by just one look? Anybody know David? 
one look on a rooftop. Wow. Oh, paid a great price too. Say, what was his price? Holding that little dead baby. I'd say that's a pretty great price. Wow. We don't get mail at our house. Magazines, paper, whatever. <laughs> My wife's the editor of police. She gets it. Oops, nope, got to go tear us out. Ah, oh, garbage, garbage. <laughs> hey, my boys are that way now. My son likes cars, 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 cars. Both of them do. And if there's some car papers comes, you know, up, ah, 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 nope, 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 you don't look at that. And they know, they don't even touch it. Mom, have you gone through that book? Oh, yep, yeah, it's good, it's okay. You can handle it now. I ain't, man, we got to watch out all the time. All right. Well, let's stay morally pure. And then let's measure our progress. Where are we going to be one year from now? Let's pray. Father.